Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Dana Skins here with our co-host, Patrick Batillo, aka Mr. Orange, the Sun Super Fan. This is the Inferno Podcast, episode eight. Thanks for joining us. Patrick, you were in Dallas or Thursday night's game six, Suns Mavericks, and it was definitely the atmosphere we expected. We're gonna get right to what we're uh, topic is about game seven this Sunday, May 15th, between the Suns and Mavericks. This has been a very petty series, very physical series, lots and lots of moving parts, lots of hostility. Tell me about what you saw in game six on Thursday. Yeah, you hit on the head, Dana. Um, overall, just it's, it's crazy to me how each game in this series has been um, overall largely dominated by the home team. And to see that continue game in and game out through the first six games, and that was no different last night, um, has, has been very interesting. And I would be curious to know from an NBA history perspective, if there's been any series that has gone seven where the first six have been as lopsided as we've seen uh, within these games. I, I did the math and statistically it was about just over 18 points is the average margin of victory for the home team uh, through the first six games. So when you talk about that level of dominance game over game and varying on who the uh, team is that comes out on top, you know, it, it's just very interesting. And you, you hit it on the head as well with the energy in the arena last night, uh, you know, in Dallas were ready to go. Uh, that was an elimination game for them and their last, you know, home game for this series. And so uh, now we head into Sunday in a game seven, which uh, is is going to have a crazy atmosphere, obviously, when we're home, but um, winner go home for both teams. So one team at the end of, of that game is going to be done for the season. Right. And this is a decisive game seven. Devin Booker hit it right on the head last night after the game said this is the greatest the greatest two words in sports are game seven and he's right he's never played in a game seven he's worked seven years in phoenix you know to get to this moment and he's riding high the biggest takeaway for me in game six is the bench for the suns they did not show up the bench definitely did in game five game five at home on Tuesday, they outscored the Mavericks bench 38 to 23. Phoenix's bench last night uh, had very, uh, it had some contributions uh, from Torrey Craig and, um, and Cameron Johnson. He didn't shoot well, but the Suns generally do well when Cameron Johnson plays well off the bench. That's their sixth man of the year finalist. And he only had five points on one of five shooting. And only hit one three. He's a three-point specialist. He had 14 points. And I can't put all the blame on him. He had 14 uh, points in game uh, five. You know, but, you know, he just did not have the spark. The Suns did not shoot well. They only shot 39% uh, and 33% from the three. Uh, only made six threes. And the Mavericks, who were reigning yeah. threes, dropped 16 at 39 threes. Okay. Again. Again, 
To me, I, I, the bench, you can look at a number of things, right? But to me, our ball control and taking care of the ball in Dallas has been atrocious. 17 turnovers, 17 turnovers, and 22 turnovers, respectively, for games uh, three, four, and then now six. So we can look at anything. Obviously, the three points, we're, we're still allowing you know them to take those shots, um, and, and we're living and dying by that. But when you look at the handling the ball, that that's our issue and and we can't you can't win a game that way so at home we're taking care of the ball and we can look at all the other things as well but um you you don't turn the ball over 17 times 17 times and 22 times in many nba games and expect to come out with a victory absolutely not and also uh, devin booker had eight turnovers of those 22 chris paul had five i think chris paul's tired and i and i put this on monty last night because uh, you know, the, the, the thing about everything regarding the, uh, you know, with Chris Paul's not been himself since he turned age 37 last Friday, a week ago, I, I think that with the games uh, not as spread out as they were in the first round series uh, between the Pelicans and the Suns, it, it, there's, a, there's a, a little bit of, uh, of wind, second wind that he's not getting. He clearly did not get taken out early enough last night. I'm not sure why Monty did not replace him with either Cameron Payne or with maybe, I know Cameron Payne hasn't played well this series since game one, but uh, maybe even Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday gets in there and he's a spark off the bench. He hasn't used them really all of the playoffs. So I'm not sure why Monty did not give Chris Paul his breather, knowing that he's winded and they play every other day since this series began Monday the 2nd. So why do you think Monty is not going to his bench uh, or did, why he didn't go to his bench quicker like he did in game five when he had different fresh legs and different rotations out there that helped him win game five? I don't know, honestly. Uh, you know, and I think it's going to be even more interesting in game seven where I don't think those those role players are going to have as much trust. I, I was talking about this with a friend last night after the game and this morning, like when you're in this situation, it's your season's on the line completely on this game. So rest, focus, not, none of that, I don't think is going to be the top priority for either Chris Paul or Monty Williams. I don't think Chris Paul is going to want to rest. And I think that's where Monty's going to have to balance that aspect of, you know, making sure he gets the rest he needs so he's not a liability and turning the ball over and able to be effective. But, you know, trust is a huge part. To your point about Holiday, he's barely played. I would be shocked in a game seven if he if Monty went with that, unless over these next couple of days of practice, the they see something and, and work on rotations. But overall, I think, you know, Monty's going to live and die by what he does with the rotations that he has had and who has performed well at home. And that's going to be something that, you know, whoever's number is called is going to have to come in and, and really show. And, and we've talked about it. Many people have, you know, role players playing well at home. That's going to have to continue to be the case for, for Phoenix in order to, you know, get a win because Luca is going to be Luca. In my opinion, if I'm, if I'm coaching this team, let Luca go one-on-one. -on -one. Of course, they're going to try to have everything, you know, where they set their pick and rolls and get the matchups they want um, or have screens set. And so we should, you know, battle through that. But at the end of the day, I think you let Luca, you take Luca one-on-one, -on -one, 
Yes, he's going to have mismatches at times. Let him try to beat you and not allow anyone else to get hot or hit shots because they have proven, you know, the first couple of games conversation was, oh, can they continue to shoot this, you know, great from three? You know, yes, maybe one game or two. They've shown they can. So at this point, we're on game seven. So you should stay home, ensure that no one else gets hot, defend Luca as well as you can, and then we execute on the offensive end. But if we don't do that and they get hot, then the momentum starts to shift. We don't have, we didn't have the defense that we had in game five. That was phenomenal. Like the steals and the deflections and the rebounds and getting out on the fast break, all that led to it. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see they threw a very different defense at us where, you know, they mixed up who was on Booker and had, you know, Bullock on Booker at times. And then they were setting, you know, high, uh, when we were setting a screen, they would send, you know, the, the guy would hedge and they would double for a moment. And that led to a number of turnovers. So, you know, kudos to Dallas for the adjustments they made. And I think at this point, both teams have kind of seen everything. And now it's who is going to make the biggest adjustments based on schemes and who is going to start hitting their shots more to create separation in the game. And if that's a box and one on Lucas, so be it. Because game one, they had it right. He had 45 points and the rest of the guys in games one and two for him, the starters only scored uh, 39 points. And also Luca had 35 points in game two in Phoenix and the rest of his starters had 31. So exactly. If you, what happened in game one and two is that they basically, what I saw is that the Suns basically stretched the defense to guard the three better, to make sure that those guys don't get hot uh, uh, besides Luca. And I feel like they abandoned that in, in Dallas. And in, in, in those games, in games three, really? four, and six. So I'm wondering, like, if you're going to – I understand they, they don't want to get caught up on the pick and roll. And the shifts that I'm seeing from the, uh, the Phoenix defense is that they're crashing and they're hedging and they're basically getting caught out on a hedge or, or, or in a shift downward to basically help away from their man. And then they have to run out and close out, and it's too late by the time they close out and, and, and get those threes popping uh, from Dallas – and, and, and then they basically are hoping they miss, as Chris has said multiple, uh, has said once. And and uh, I know that uh, Aiden uh, said that, too, that just hoping that they miss. I believe it was Aiden who said that and backing up Chris's words. So I, I think what the Monty wants to do is basically figure out a way to stretch the defense and have a set of a fresh set of legs. Mikhail Bridges, he only played 31 minutes last night. He normally plays the most. I don't know why he was taken out. He didn't have a bad game. He had seven points, five uh, rebounds, and five assists, and um, just two turnovers. And he had three. No, so, well, no. What happened there? Mikhail Bridges struggled, in my opinion. I think I can't speak to why Monty pulled him, but yesterday. He's a block shot, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, why did he yeah, pull him? Yeah. And I don't know, uh, but from what I saw, he he was not performing well uh, on the offensive end. Does yeah. he? The other things, yes. But we we had a stretch where we just couldn't score. We couldn't make a bucket. You couldn't make a bucket, right? But we're uh, wondering like him, right? Right. Go ahead. And Sorry. no, it's just not like him. And so you know, overall for for Bridges, he went two of seven uh, on the night. And so the, he nor the Suns would be happy with that type of production out of him. And look, it, it, it's not. To, blame him he's he's going to have off days and and that's expected and that's where I think you know as we when we transition into talking about what we what we expect on Sunday you know that that's the difference but to me it's it's very disappointing 
to have three consecutive games on the road where you turn the ball over, you know, as many times as we have to not make those adjustments to take care of the ball and then pair that with, again, how are we defending that differently at home versus on the road to where their role players are able to shoot an astronomical number of threes and make a high percentage of those. It was early in the first half. I looked up and we had six attempts on, on threes and we made three of them. Yeah. We're shooting 50% from three. The problem was they were 10 of 16 at that point or something outrageous of that number. Right. And so you're on the road already. You have to make your job easier. And that starts on the defensive end. And then when you're turning the ball over that much, that's just a recipe for disaster. And so that's what we saw every game. Yeah. I'm wondering though, with Mikael Bridges, that is the son's Michael Cooper. Okay. I, I use this. uh, A lot of people compare him to Scottie Pippen because they see the development over time of him developing the three point shot that Scottie developed early in his, you know, kind of in his fourth or fifth year at the bulls and, you know, developing his body. But I I like to equate uh, Mikhail to Michael Cooper of the Lakers of the eighties who won those five titles because Michael Cooper was one of the best defenders of all time. And he was the Lakers' best defender and a three-point gun. So Mikhail doesn't like to be called a 3 and D guy. But I'm wondering if Jay Crowder is not playing, uh, not defending uh, against Luca well, and he's picking up four of his fouls, uh, four of his five fouls trying to guard Luca last night and two dunks in a row getting past Jay Crowder from the, you know, outside the top of the key in the activation zone on an ISO. And why you keep putting Jay on the island when he clearly is not doing well and you just put your defensive player of the year runner up, uh, Mikhail Bridges, on him instead? I don't know why they didn't make that adjustment. I know that Mikhail was guarding Jalen Brunson a lot on the switches because that's his boy. He knows Jalen Brunson well, you know, from their Villanova days. But why did not Monty not make that adjustment, which just totally, it, it kind of racks my mind. Uh, if you now have your best defender on the best offensive player on, you know, the, the Mavericks, I, I'm still kind of befuddled by that. Yeah, and those would be questions uh, to ask Monty, you know, uh, today or tomorrow in, in the next media availability he has to understand. But um yeah, it'll, it'll it'll likely be Saturday when they have practice, and, I, and I'll, I'll ask him that. Um, but I'm also, you know, Aiden's doing his job. Uh, you know, Chris Paul is 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 kind of he he didn't have a bad game shooting. He was four of seven, but it, it, it kind of came too little, too late. But his five turnovers so that canceled out his offense. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and also I'm wondering why Javale McGee has been not he he. he Monty hasn't been using JaVale McGee in terms of the rebounding department. Yeah, they got out-rebounded. Uh, well, actually, um, yeah, they got out-rebounded 45 to 39, so that wasn't too too much. But I'm thinking in terms of rim protection you know, of a guy in the middle you know, to stop Luka from getting down there, and that's what JaVale McGee's specialty is as a high-leaping big and you know, a veteran. So I'm wondering why he didn't play JaVale McGee the past two games. He only played JaVale in game five for like three minutes and then took him out after he picked up his second foul in the, in the second quarter. Uh, so I yeah. thought that was odd. And he didn't play him at all last night. Uh, what was interesting with Chris Paul, though, is when you look at closeout games for Chris Paul, like yesterday he shot seven seven times, as you alluded to, and he made four of those. So he yeah. shot a percentage but when you look even at just the last four games yeah. he's averaged 
about 20 shots. So how in a close and why in a closeout game is Chris Paul taking only seven shots? And let me remind you, three of those, I believe, came in the fourth quarter. So before that, he's taken four shots and three of those were threes. His last three shots were threes. Yeah. Like what that what is that? That's not Chris Paul at all. Right. Like, he, he hasn't been assertive. Game, mm-hmm. He hasn't he hasn't been assertive and he hasn't gotten to his spot. Like everyone talks about Chris Paul and he hits his spot, you know, elbows or elbows extended. I haven't seen, I think, one of those in this series, let alone in the closeout game opportunity. And so that is everyone's injured. I know late in the game, um, someone grabbed his shoulder and he was, uh, and I noticed, and he was, it was irritating him. Um, and then there's rumors today, you know, with some of the media channels, he's going to have to have surgery on his hand in the off season. Um, but nonetheless, he's out there. He's, he's executing. Where is that aggression that we need and him taking those shots um that that's a question that i'm confused about and the only part about this series that will benefit the suns from a rest perspective is every game has been every other day up until this game seven where now there'll be an additional day in between excuse me games to allow for that rest which i think definitely will favor the suns um especially being home and not have to be on the road uh, for that extra day but yeah, I, I was very intrigued at the lack of aggression for Chris Paul coming into a closeout game where his career, statistically, it, he is very, very efficient and not only efficient, but um, contributes greatly to his team from a scoring perspective. Yeah, well, two things in terms of Chris Paul and also the Suns overall is that Chris Paul better hope that Scott Foster doesn't officiate that game because he's 0-14 in playoff games where Scott Foster has officiated them. And two is that there's an old sports adage that the series, a playoff series, does not begin unless the road team wins. So they better make sure that that does not actualize in Phoenix <laughs> over game and For Scott seven. Foster, uh, he's officiating tonight. He's been off the past five days, but he officiates tonight, which would make him eligible to officiate on Sunday. As of oh. right now, game, yeah, as of right now, Suns game is the only game for the slate on Sunday, uh, pending what happens with Boston and Milwaukee. If Milwaukee closes it out, uh, we'll be playing at 1230 and will be the only game on Sunday. And if uh, Boston forces a game seven, uh, we'll have the later tip at five um, Pacific time and on TNT and then ABC will have um, the game seven for Milwaukee um, at 1230 uh, Pacific time. So yeah, there, there's a potential that that's there, but as you said, we're at home that you couldn't have asked for more. So it's the Suns to lose. The Suns are the better team. Luca is, uh, arguably the best player in the series. So there's that variable. There's no, he vert- is. There's no argument. <laughs> he is. Yeah. <laughs> there is well, no argument. Know, some people would, would debate that, but I don't think you or I will. Yeah. And, so coming into that, what is I mean, that? he's he's averaging thirty three. He's averaging what thirty three this series. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And yeah I hope he goes for forty. Yeah, and he's he's only expectation. Right, he's only he's only second behind Michael Jordan in terms of a playoff scoring average. Yeah. yeah so let him try back. to put the team on his back, neutralize everyone else, and you have your home court crowd advantage, your home rim. Um, but it's a game seven, so uh, everything from the officials calling the game. Um, to players on both sides, coaches on both sides, it's it's winner go home for both. And so that changes the dynamic of everything. And Booker, very excited about it, but it's his first, you know. And so this this is going to be a 
amazing game. I, I, I am anticipating it'll be the highest watch game in all of the playoffs so far, um, being that it's the first game seven and obviously the best team in the NBA against um, a team that, you know, some pick to go to seven, uh, but not one expert, quote unquote, or media personnel picked the Mavs to win. And now, you know, they're 48 minutes away from from one of the biggest upsets in, in the recent time for the NBA. Yeah, I understand. And yeah, I will say this about Booker and Luca's back and forth, uh, the pettiness between those two guys. Uh, Booker doing what he called the Luca special. Uh, and then last night he said and in the post game, we would never disrespect our opponent. And I was like, well, he kind of did already. And that's what set Luca off to go and do what he did in game six at home is because you basically poked the bear. You, you know, Luca was doing well uh, uh, beforehand in the previous games. But when Devin Booker did that, and when he, when he got fouled, and he did you know, what was called the Luca special and kind of laying there and, and feigning an injury or flopping and such, you know, behind the hoop. Out of, <laughs> that basically was like, we don't need that. The Suns don't need to do things like that. They need to just basically focus on the task at hand, stay even keeled. They haven't won anything yet. Yes, they're the number one seed, but they have to prove why they're the number one seed and that the regular season and the postseason aren't two different seasons for them. And that's and even Biombo when getting into that you know fracas with uh, Marquez Chris, a bench guy, it's just like okay, you're up by thirty basically at that point, and or near thirty, and you're dunking with two seconds left. Now there's a lot of talk about codes and breaking them this postseason between the Grizzlies and the uh, the Warriors and guys getting injured, but there is a code in the NBA that if you're up that much. You basically have the losing team concede the loss and let the clock run out and not try to add to the score. And I don't know what exchange, what was said between Biombo and Chris and in game five, but clearly that dunk with two seconds left, you know, by Biombo pissed off Chris. Okay. And that's what basically made them get in each other's face. And that's what made you know, Marquette, you know, Biombo get ejected after they jawed and he waving bye-bye. And then Marquez Chris running in, you know, through the tunnel after him and security had to separate them. Those are the types of things that show that you don't respect your opponent. And that's what makes your opponent say, all right, if you think you up and you're going to close out the series, we'll come back home and we're going to give it to you. And that's exactly what they did. So when you do things like that, you're basically uh, putting yourself, you're, you're, you're putting more pressure on yourself as a team that's up you know, to basically like uh, you have more to lose than 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 to gain from doing those types of tactics. Yeah, and I, I put the onus for that on campaign because why are you lobbing it up for him to go get? So busy, of course, you, you lobbed it up. He's going to go get it. Right. And has to be more mature in that moment to recognize the game. And, what's, and yeah, why, why would you do that? Yeah, I think that put the battery piece. Yeah, that put the that, that put the battery in the Mavericks back to to just come back and just destroy the Suns, as well as you know put the battery in Biombo's back. And I and I think Monty may have disciplined campaign for that. We campaign did not see uh, did, did the campaign see any time last night? He I don't think he, he did. He saw what I call the. There's the minutes at the end of the game. So he saw so, scrub time. He got, he got, yeah, he, he got, saw scrub time both games, both five and six. And yeah. so 
And that's in game five when he did that. So to me, he shouldn't have even earned it yesterday in that moment. But uh, to me, campaign, that, that move had to be made. I love campaign, but as a coach, I thought it, I thought, and I respect Monty and the trust he has in him, but I think he he waited too long to pull that trigger, um, you know, really hoping Cam would figure it out. But even last night, campaign gets in in the, in the garbage minutes, if you will, and missed, I think we counted three point-blank layups uh, that he missed again. And that's against, you know, also, you know, players that don't play uh, very often for the Mavs. And so you get in there in those minutes and you're still showing that you're right where you left off and why you lost your, your spot. Like you have to be better. Yeah. So you got four minutes. I'm looking at the box right now. One turnover, two personal fouls and, you know, one rebound and, and he was over three. So it's like when you're doing that in this four minutes and you you know, end up with a minus seven plus minus, then it's like you you basically you you go in and you 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 prove that you're worth the money you're being paid. You know, three years, nineteen million. The way he played last year is in the playoffs is why he got that extension. We haven't seen that campaign uh, this postseason, but we hope to see him in game uh, seven, like we saw him in game one when he had nine points and he had uh, you know really great uh, plays that he made and, and I believe four assists and, and such. That's the campaign we need to see efficiently. And hopefully we get to see some Aaron Holiday. Maybe it's because Aaron Holiday came late. He doesn't know the offense. Uh, or does, I know they shrink the offense uh, or, or shrink the rotation rather uh, towards the playoffs. But, you know, maybe give Aaron Holiday a try. I mean, that that's the probably, you know, he's a defensive specialist. That's what the Holidays are known for. Um, the, my last topic before we go, I want to discuss – the MVP voting. Jokic won the second MVP in a row. And uh, for, you know, the, I, the Nuggets are well-deserving. I mean, the Nuggets' big is deserving for his stats, but I'm still kind of leery on how he got it compared to Joel Embiid, who had a historic year as the first center in 22 years and win a scoring title. Now, scoring is not all it comes down to, but the Sixers were in the top four of the East and that was a very top-heavy East in which every team in that upper tier was within one to two games out of the top spot, and they flip-flopped throughout the regular season, whereas the Nuggets were basically hovering in the bottom half of the Western Conference all year. So why do you think Jokic got this award, and do you agree with it? Hi. Uh, this goes back to every other award, I think, this year, outside of Monty Williams uh, being named uh, – head coach and coach of the year. So and yes, and congratulations. The Monaghan coach of the year. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but back to, again, the politics and who who and how the votes take place. Um, honestly, do I think he deserved to win it? Absolutely not. Um, I think MB did. And I was I was honestly surprised to see uh, him winning it and no disrespect to him. But um, again, I, we've talked about it many times on the podcast that the way that these awards are calculated and and presented needs to change and I think that uh, further proves especially being it's the MVP award uh, that you know th this process has to be looked at by the NBA yeah um, I, I'm just really like I love Jokic as a player I think he's great uh, I just don't understand where uh, the, the the criteria I feel like it wavers the spaghetti on the wall approach just like the spaghetti on the wall approach about the MB, the fines 
um, or, or the way the league handled the, you know, the Chris Paul situation in Dallas with his mother, you know, getting, you know, tapped or pushed or whatever on Mother's Day and that fan getting banned only through 23, 23, which is basically eight and a half months because this fan's not going to have any reason to go to America Airlines Center in Dallas other than for Mavs games, maybe if there's a concert there or such. But, you know, th- let's be real. I mean, this is th- those types of things. I'm wondering why the NBA is is, is doing things basically kind of wishy-washy in, in, in one way they're they're handling you know the criteria and the way the voting goes for MVP and the NBA uh finding uh teams for their MVP candidates coming back from injury and knowing that they're going to come back from injury uh, whereas Adam Silver the commissioner said at the end of the regular season we want our players our superstars to play and he's you know at Silver's questioning the load management of these players not playing enough games and especially in the most important time of the year in the playoffs and he's fining teams 25 grand for the reports um being you know somewhat maybe an hour or two late <laughs> and it's like what do you find that 25 grand for like meaning the Sixers and Suns for MB and Booker coming back respectively for you know very important games when their team is basically uh, having their backs against the wall. And, you know, those are the games that people want to see. And people want to see the star players come back for those games. And then, you know, you're you're giving a fan basically an eight-and-a-half-month band who's 16 years old when he's with his mother on Mother's Day or whoever that adult uh, female was in relation to that kid and his friend. And he's pushing another mother on Mother's Day, knowing that's Chris Paul's mother, right? And so those types of things is like the NBA – is basically throwing spaghetti in against the wall and hope it sticks instead of basically setting a precedent saying, you know what, if you're going to do this, you have to do this by X time. And if you're going to be a fan, you have to keep your hands to yourself or else you are out and we are going to basically bar you out for life. And anybody who doesn't abide by this, we've dealt with this long enough. We saw this last year in New York, you know, with fans spitting on Trey Young. We saw this in, you know, Philadelphia. We've seen this with the Jazz dealing with, you know, the Jazz versus the Thunder and those previous year series and, and, and going at Russell Westbrook and such and not protecting the players or their families. And, and the NBA has been done a really bad job of that. And I just want to say that on our way out. But Patrick, as always, thank you for joining me and talking about this stuff. Thank you for listening to our podcast, everybody. This is episode eight of the Inferno. We look forward to looking at uh, watching game seven. I'm looking forward to covering it. And Patrick, I look forward to seeing you there as always. And thanks. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get that win and continue it on. But Sunday is going to be exciting. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Enjoy the weekend, y'all. Be safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.